Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. I spent $40,000 on shoes and I have no place to live? Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Hilary Busis. I'm Claire Howarth. And I'm Chris Murphy. We're here to determine our top five episodes of HBO's Sex in the City. I will wear whatever and blow whomever I want as long as I can breathe and kneel. So season two of And Just Like That is on its way. We decided to look back at some of our favorite episodes of Sex and the City. Behind the scenes, we've gone through shortlist secret ballots, landed on our five favorite episodes. It was long. It was taxing. It was an ordeal. But it here was, we are. It was so much fun. How can you say it was <laughs> but anything but pure fun? I just want everyone to know how seriously we took this assignment. Very seriously. Very enjoyably. Yeah, there was dissent. There was, yeah, there was heads rolled. Yeah. <laughs> Listen on as we talk about three classic episodes of Sex and the City. Next week, we're going to discuss two more, and then we are going to debate and rank them to determine the best all-time episode of Sex and the City. We're going to start part one of this two-part special, and we're going to go through the episodes in chronological order. I think it's important that we go back and we sort of go to the foundational text <laughs> that is <laughs> Sex and the City. The Dead Sea Scrolls of <laughs> the Ur-Sex. <laughs> the Earth, the tomb. That was a Carrie Bradshaw-worthy pun, Claire. <laughs> Let me get out my little nameplate necklace. I gotta know, what what about Sex and the City? What is it for both of you that drew you in? It, it, did, did you love it? Did you hate it? I, it's years have passed. Why is it an enduring your text in our lives? <laughs> Okay, I have to say, I think we represent a little cross-section of generations here and Mm. age groups. I watched it when it originally aired, which 
might not have been when either of you first saw it, but it was before I moved to New York City when I was still in high school and college, and it formed for better and probably definitely much for worse my idea of New York City. <laughs> I was like, mm. I'm going to go there. I'm going to drink Cosmos. Probably going to have sex. Things are going to be weird. <laughs> And, and I'm going to have tons of amazing clothes while working in media. <laughs> oh, 100%. One and a half of those things are true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Hillary, what was your introduction to, to Sex and the City? Yeah. I mean, not so different from yours, Claire. I watched it. I caught up with it and watched the last couple of seasons when they were airing live. I was in middle school when the show first came out. So, yes, we are representing different age groups. I can very vividly remember the spring break that I uh, discovered on-demand TV, and I spent the entire week just watching Sex and the City, which I had never seen before, and I was, you know, like 13 or whatever, and it was like the greatest, like, spring break of my life. And (laughs) I think it's so appealing because, like you said, it just, it presents this idealized but still kind of dark vision of a city and a life that is aspirational but is also kind of terrible in a lot of ways and also kind of realistic in a lot of ways, like as heightened as Sex and the City is, like especially watching it now, like being the age that the characters are, watching it as a 35-year-old woman, like throws into relief, like how realistic it actually is and like didn't, like I I feel like people don't give it as much credit now because its reputation has been tarnished by the movies and by it just like that and also by you know, a lot of, you know, frankly, kind of misogynistic criticism directed at it at the time. Um, but yeah, I, it, it really holds up better than I wondered if it would as like a, like from a 21st century perspective. So yeah, I think it endures because it's just, it's well made. Yeah. I, I so agree. And I guess now I'll out myself as I remember my first introduction to Sex and the City was Chris's like mother down is Miranda Hobbs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, I wish. That would be amazing. She'd be a great mom. Um, But no, it was watching my mom and her friends watch the show. Like I would come, you know, come downstairs and they'd be like, get out of the room. This isn't for you. Like, and I was like, what is, it looks so fabulous. All these heels, all this, all these funny ladies. Um, But it really was sort of at a distance. Right. And I, you know, as a cisgendered gay man, it's crazy how (laughs) a lot of us see ourselves as these four archetypal women. And so growing older um, and getting to dive into it myself in a post-girls world. I think I watched Girls first and oh, then that's Sex so and the City. Oh, whoa. So I was like the girls age, sort of. I was like in college. I and was that the was girls when they age, were, like, Chris. Younger. You were the, <laughs> a little bit beneath the girls age, but still that was like the sort of present tense moment, right? That was the show that was happening that sort of had poor girls. But um, having discovered it after um, and sort of seeing what, the 90s was like, not that I don't remember the 90s, I was there, but I was a kid. It really does present a whole different, it feels like a different world in some ways. And yet also as media people and whatnot, as Hillary, as you just said, like this, it's idealized and also dark, but also foreign, a lot has changed, but it also did feel really real in that sort of well-made way. Mm -hmm. They all felt like real women having real experiences, some more outlandish than others, and we'll get to that. I mean, I don't know if Samantha is a real person, but we can get into that. (laughs) I I feel like she got more honest as the show went on. That's true. There was an honesty about their characters that was refreshing in all of their foibles and pitfalls, and, you know, when they'd convene and complain at brunch, 
those things yeah. felt real. And aspirational, too, sort of, and yeah. sort of watching as uh, in a way. Yeah, $4 a word though, is definitely aspirational. <laughs> well, they yeah. didn't seem to take their own aspiration and what it wrought for granted. They were obviously mm-hmm. reveling in their own privilege, and they knew it, and they felt their own fabulosity in a way that I think could only have been done at the time and was just really fun to watch. And I think, I mean, I think that's actually a really great transition into sort of the first episode that we're going to talk about. Here's to us without men. Woo! Here, here. I'm not toasting to that. It's bad luck. We're starting with season two, episode four. They shoot single people, don't they? It originally aired on HBO on June 27th, 1999. Here's a quick recap. After an all-nighter, Carrie is late for her New York Magazine photo shoot. It's for a feature called Single and Fabulous. We're gonna, there's going to uh, be some time for makeup, right? Yeah. Thank God. Just want to do a few test shots before check the lighting. But her disheveled test shots end up on the cover with the headline, Single and Fabulous? Question mark. Single was fun at 20. But you want to ask these women, how fun will all-night club hopping be at 40? Who's out all night? Who's 40? Do you know what I say? Fuck them. Afraid of being alone, Miranda fakes orgasms to keep a guy. He's a nice guy. He means well. Oh, so it's codependent coming. Samantha is lured in by a fake future with a club owner. You should have heard him last night. We can cook. We can swim. Oh, he's a wee guy. Oh, so he's a wee guy. Who cares? And Charlotte opts for fake intimacy with her handyman actor friend. Carrie, he is strong and masculine, and he can fix things around the house. Charlotte, you can't create a relationship with a guy just because he can cock your tub. And in the end, thanks to a cameo from Bradley Cooper, Carrie opts to embrace single status. I decided instead of running away from the idea of a life alone, I better sit down and take that fear to lunch. Waiting for someone? Oh, no, it's just me. (laughs) The title. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, they shoot single people, don't they? Don't they, question mark? Question mark. And this is where copy edit areas have never been so well represented <laughs> in an episode of television. <laughs> Question mark versus exclamation point because the it's whole perhaps thing. Perhaps the most consequential punctuation in the history of television this episode. Single and fabulous or single and fabulous? Also, maybe the Those most consequential two. cigarette. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're so excited. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, so why would you say, why, um, if both of you, it, does this episode stand out? I think that this one was on my list, and I gravitated towards it because not only do I think that there are specific things in this episode that are great and very discussion-worthy, I think that it also just kind of sums up the entire project of Sex and the City. The entire Mm -hmm. series is kind of encapsulated in this half hour because the central question of the episode is, like, are we as single women happy being single women or do we hate ourselves? And that is a question that gets asked over and over throughout the course of the series. And not just that, but just in the way it's constructed and in each of the subplots. Like, I think that this is just kind of quintessential sex in the city. Like, there is a subplot about faking orgasms, which is, you know, one of the, like, first things that might come up when you're talking about sex and women and, like, something that could be a topic of conversation among a group of friends. Like, there is this magazine cover story that Carrie is posing for. So it's a New York story and it's a media story, but it's also tied into the central themes of the show. Yeah, I just thought that it kind of represented everything about Sex and the City um, in, like, one neat package. I'm also glad, because, I mean, there, the, 
the show changes so much, or I was struck by after watching this episode, sort of like uh, the evolution of New York and, you know, I think the cigarettes of it all. But I do think it captures something about early sex in the city, um, sort of the earlier episodes. It still has the man on the street interviews. It still has the man on the street interviews, which I totally forgot, which was a device that they sort of, I think, smartly did away with. But it was sort of telling of sort of like, yeah, it felt a little scrappier. And Carrie, this is going to be probably a big conversation for every episode from here to eternity of still watching when we're talking about and just like that Carrie's anti-hero sort of shows like she's she's well something was done wrong to her in that like the magazine cover wasn't great she was about a month late they said <laughs> uh, poor Nevin poor poor beautiful Stanford's beautiful boyfriend oh. Beautiful I can imagine waiting. being that photo assistant, like, you're so excited, you vouch for this woman, you're like, she's going to be amazing, and then she doesn't show up. He is the hero of this episode. He might not be the hero, but... <laughs> <laughs> he deserves some credit. But it's the, the, the complicatedness, I think another reason why we love the show is, like, uh, like, how complicated and complex all these women are. And I think Carrie specifically maybe being de facto the protagonist of the series, it might be the most complex one. And I do tend to have a lot of empathy for her. Not that, you know, going out all night and sleeping through engagements, not a good look. But that's the, you know, the fun, flirty, 30, you know. If she were not self-destructive or didn't have a self-destructive streak, she would be much less interesting as a character. Right. You know, thinking about the title name, They Shoot Single People, Don't They? Just... For those of you who are listening and aren't aware, that is based on They Shoot Horses, Don't They, the Horace McCoy novel that became the Sidney Pollack film starring Jane Fonda. And I just went to look at the theatrical release poster and the tagline is, people are the ultimate spectacle, which I think is relevant to our discussion. If that doesn't sum up Carrie Bradshaw. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. I also want to point out, this is probably obvious, but I feel like I just realized that they shoot her for a magazine cover. So it's also a pun. It's also a pun. Wordplay. Gosh. Fabulous. I like how much, (laughs) how frequently they say the word fabulous in this episode, too. Fabulous. Fabulous. Probably. That's my uh, my time. (laughs) <laughs> that was pretty good. That was, that was really good. With Re, the, you know, her cover story, like how horrified should she have been? Because again, it's like some people would have been like, okay, you're on the cover of New York Magazine. It's like definitely a little bit of a grittier shot. But Carrie, I mean, she seems to have a way of making all of her problems sort of the most, impo- like blowing them out of proportion, some might say. It's a pretty unflattering. It's horribly unflattering. <laughs> and I have to say, it would not happen. Something so casually cruel, I don't think would happen these days. But the way it... It certainly l- would have in would, that er- in that media era, though. In that era. And the way it just feels like really real New York magazine cover is... Oh, and the, isn't, the, isn't the deck Eat, Drink, and Never Be Married? Yes. yes. Incredible. Yes. Incredible work. It really was an arresting cover. It really did, you know... It, oh, yeah, it, it's believable. It, it's like... It's like a caution. It is a cautionary tale. Like, don't get too high on your own supply. I feel like later in the series and especially in the movies, there is kind of this weird compulsion that the show gets to, like, take its characters down a peg and, like, humiliate them sometimes in a way that feels, Mm. like, not so nice. And I don't know if that's a response to criticism of the show or it's, you know, an attempt at comedy that just don't really land. just kind of feels sort of cruel. But, like, this feels, like, on a scale... That is, it's not overdone. It's like a small scale humiliation. It's not Mm -hmm. something that she can't like bounce back from. It's not Charlotte pooping herself in Mexico. 
Um, which I don't know if you remembered, happens in the first movie. Of course. That is, the first movie is canon, the second one is not. Yeah, but yeah, we haven't um, talked at all about the other characters' uh, subplots yes. in this episode. Um, do any of them stand out to either of you? Well, I mean, the passage of time, Charlotte uh, getting a man to uh, fix her VCR, to install her VCR, <laughs> that was sort of a, a crazy contraption. I was like, oh, wow, remember those? Um, I do think the idea of faking it, it it's so... Something that show really does really well is sort of take one sort of idea and weave it through each of the women's storylines from Miranda trying to faking orgasms with that with that ophthalmologist, you know? Oh my god. Seemed like a nice guy. Um Mark Forrestine, then, who shows up on TV all the time. I was about to say that's, why okay, is he I so familiar. Yeah, I don't that's know if Mark you ever Forrestine. saw um Royal Pains. Royal the- Pains. That is, I couldn't, I couldn't place it. He was also uh, Christie's dad in my dearly departed uh, Netflix Babysitters Club, a show mm. that I loved. But yeah, no, what I, I feel like what you're speaking to, Chris, is the way that I, I think that Sex and the City is also just great as a, an example of episodic television, and it's something mm-hmm. that you don't see as much today, especially on streaming, when it feels like serialization has just kind of become the norm in such a huge way. But Sex and the City was great at balancing the demands of serialized storylines with, like, very thematic, like, sometimes to a fault, like, sometimes sort of forced, um, but just these, like, tight little packages that, like, it's so easy to drop in, and it's also so easy to watch 20 of them in a row. I mean, and then they have a real sort of beginning, middle, and end, right? Yes. Like we get a complete, like a complete story that versus is like finished. a saggy Netflix series where it's like been twelve hours, and you're like, has anything actually happened? <laughs> well, also these <laughs> yeah. episodes are only twenty two minutes long, mm-hmm. and you forget that until you rewatch them, and you're like, wow, no ads. That was when the the novelty of HBO was in part the ad free viewing, and those episodes were so brief and quippy, brief. and that's why and you could spend an entire spring break just watching them. Yes. <laughs> But those early, the early episodes, I feel like, were really very much about Carrie. Mm-hmm. And she was the mm-hmm. narrative vehicle. And Miranda and Samantha and Charlotte were window dressing and also there to kind of demonstrate various types of sex in the city. And they were shells of their characters later to be fleshed out a little more because they're all a yeah. little bit caricatures in this in this episode I think yeah and you don't I feel like the they're not as well defined as characters for sure like would Samantha really fall for like some guy's line like the hard ball busting like doesn't want relationships or commitment like why would she be swayed by this frankly like kind of skeezy well yeah club because owner. he was offering her <laughs> you think that Samantha can't get her own summer share in the Hamptons you think that she at needs at this point at this point maybe she's know, not established enough she's not established enough I love that they they are also ascendant throughout the series they haven't quite yeah. made it and there's a little of their their power jockeying mm-hmm. on display here that's fair um yeah East Hampton but I love Samantha's um, sort of mini sort of uh, three-act play of getting stood up and then sort of like like making a decision even that is a good example of like her like maybe falling for the waiter and then being like i'm actually not going to take the waiter home like even that is a contained that was a story within a story it's like the russian doll situation where we get you know samantha having like a full arc in her three minute scene Mm -hmm. of getting stood up and then maybe to live maybe to feel wanted you know falling for this waiter and then actually making the personal decision and that's another thing that i think the woman sometimes they do sometimes they don't is they off, they choose themselves right and they and they do what's best often choose themselves over 
Well, I guess maybe that's arguable. It depends on the woman. It depends on the season. But um, <laughs> Samantha fixing herself rather than sleeping with this waiter just because she's sad. I thought that was like, But he oh, had been so really sweet and attentive thing. with the bread. And now I'm going to sit <laughs> at my computer like Carrie and say, is choosing yourself just another way of being selfish? Mm. I mean, that's I think that's a, a core tenet to the episode, right? It's like being single and, and fabulous and not, you know, having um, any sort of ties to anyone and, and Carrie choosing herself choosing over Bradley out. Cooper we should point out yes Bradley Cooper playing I was a so... jerk but still it's Bradley Cooper in the year 1999 <laughs> I, I think that's his first credit I think on IMDb if you scroll I think it's his literal first oh, credit wow uh, but I do think yes in some ways choosing herself is just another way of being selfish but I don't it's a, that's a hard that's it I think that's a through line that happens throughout the show that's yeah. really crystallized in this episode, which Hillary said, totally gets at the whole sort of reason for the season. Yeah, the whole project of the show. Yeah. And are you going to be punished for it? Are you going to have a good time? And the answer is both. (laughs) Both. I mean, who ends up punished? Who ends up having, in this episode, uh, Miranda, I mean. The fake orgasm. The fake orgasm, which again, it's like, that's so classic. Yeah, we have to. It's It's so important. Oh. Miranda met Josh for old time's sake. Oh. Cynthia Nixon is really an incredible actress, and I think people, like, she just, she has a lot of range. I think people, like, they type the woman. They're like, oh, well, like, Charlotte's the prude, and Samantha's slutty, and then, like, Cynthia's, like, the lawyer. And it's like, she she actually contains a lot more multitudes than that. I think we see that in this episode. But that, again, it's that goes back to the selfish. Is it selfish? It was what she's doing selfish, refaking the orgasm? Or is that a kindness? Or should she have, like, really stuck with that guy or let him go? Like, right. Well, did he have a place in the Hamptons? He doesn't mention it, so. Or faked it until <laughs> he made it. <laughs> Didn't happen. Yeah. Gave up yeah, on the project. It's, it's fun to see, and we'll talk about Miranda and a, a very different Miranda episode that we'll get to, but it's fun to see Miranda's sexy side just because she, sometimes she gets pigeonholed into sort of being... Yeah, she's um, not always just eating cake out of the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Although sometimes she's eating cake out of the garbage. Sometimes or choking on her takeout. Or choking on... Yeah. Choking alone, uh, about to get eaten by her cat. Um, she's not always being hit on by a man in a hot dog costume. <laughs> no, they're all sexy. Like, that's the other great thing about the show. They were all sexy. They're yeah. all very appealing. Oh, when she said, I mean, this was a, a, a standout line to me that I was like, wow, these women, you know, they live a crazy life. When Carrie says, having smoked all my cigarettes during my workout. <laughs> I was like, that's a different time. That's a different. Oh, man. Yeah, the way that they're moving their arms when they power walk was Real comic gold. <laughs> I will add one thing, which is a piece of trivia, which is that the show aired. I think about early SJP as having dated JFK Jr. And mm. it aired the same summer he died. So when you're, I mean, granted, he was obviously married to Carolyn Bissett then. But I just think of her as also existing in a quite real New York City, sex in the city world. And I think if, if we're thinking forward to and just like that, they're, the characters seem to become more and more like the actresses that are playing them. Um, and <laughs> mm, I wonder well, well, where that line is. The Matthew Broderick better not get on a Peloton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be really bad, really bad news for him. Matthew Broderick, if you're listening to this, don't, don't get on a Peloton. Don't do it! Still Watching will be back in just a moment when we return two more entries into our Sex and the City Top 5. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. At eBay, you'll always get that feel of real because your fashion purchase will be backed by authenticity guarantee. Whether it's a knit bag, a must-have watch, dreamy jewelry, or fire sneakers and fresh streetwear, every step will feel authentic. Every flex will feel real. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. Moving on, our next episode is from Season 3, Episode 15, Hot Child in the City. It originally aired on September 24th, the year 2000. I'm sorry, I don't do kids' parties. A quick refresher, Samantha gets booked by 13-year-old Jenny Breyer, played by Kat Dennings, to work her bat mitzvah. I want Vanity Fair, Carson Daly, people, teen people, in style, in sync. Jenny, sweetie, don't take this the wrong way, but... How old are you? Hello, it's my bat mitzvah party. I'm 13. Carrie regresses to her teenage years when she starts dating a comic book store owner who lives with his parents. How was it possible that mild-mannered power lad could afford a classic six on the Upper East Side with a terrace and a view of the park? Was he merely power lad by day and secretly a millionaire playboy by night? Hello? Oh, you scare me. Miranda gets adult braces and relives the growing pains of youth. I'm a 34-year-old woman with braces, and I'm on a liquid diet. Pain doesn't begin to cover it. Charlotte and Trey confront his erectile dysfunction issues. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Erectile dysfunction. I'm a child at heart. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Come on. It was Rebecca funny. and Schooner it's that made me laugh. It's literally funny. Charlotte, if you could rename your vagina. Rebecca. Why on earth would you? Because it sounds nice, and I've always liked the name. And Carrie's relationship with the comic book guy ends when she gallantly takes the blame for his weed. I brought the marijuana into the house, and I'm taking it with me when I go. Hot child in the city. Yes, this was. This is. This is my baby. This is my very favorite episode. (laughs) I'm. I'm like spoiling our final like tally, or at least my final tally, but this is my favorite episode. We each get a vote, Hillary. Okay. We, mm. we are, yeah. Okay. This is, this is a cheerocracy. Okay. <laughs> it is, I would say, the funniest episode in Sex and the City. I just think that it's firing on all cylinders, just on like a pure like laugh level. Like, this is it. Um, Kat Dennings playing a bratty bot mitzvah girl, the whole storyline with Carrie smoking pot in her boyfriend's parents' house, um, mm-hmm. Schooner and Rebecca. Are hilarious. Rebecca. Rebecca are 
great. Like, can you think of funnier names for genitals than Schooner and Rebecca? And you know there was a great writer's room discussion. Oh, my God. I I would kill to see that whiteboard. <laughs> I would. And Miranda and her braces. Again, Poor so we, Miranda so we go from, and her braces. We go, Again, the humiliation. Sexy Miranda. And now back to, and back to humiliation. Um, the high-low of this episode is so, so good to me in terms of the fabulous like Upper East Side apartment that Carrie's boyfriend is living in and then like the, his mom ruining their sex when <laughs> calling Carrie at home and then demanding to talk to Carrie on the phone. That was also weird. That so mom was funny. a weird Upper East Side mom. <laughs> also a rare appearance of any parent on the show ever. Yeah, it is sort of weird that like n- their parents never come to visit them. They're just all kind of like sui generis, like we were born at 32. <laughs> of ourselves. <laughs> yes. yes. Fully formed. Like Charlotte has a brother who shows up and then like nobody ever mentions him again. He doesn't come to either of her weddings. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's such a good point. They really yeah. sort of just, yeah. They like, really drop the ball on like backstory in that yeah. way. Um, and they also really never establish why these women are friends in the first place because I think, you know, at the beginning of this series, they're like, they're archetypes more than they are people. Um, yeah, human beings. But yeah, but this uh, this one is just this one is just my favorite. Like yeah. Sarah Power Jessica, lad. yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker is so funny when she's like playing like cute fake teenager. Like the way that she goes, "Yes, Mrs. Adams," is like more lemonade, Carrie. Yes, please, Mrs. Adams. And how about some nice homemade Toll House cookies? Yes, please, Mrs. Adams. Her delivery, like she just yes. really has, like she understands the assignment as. The kids used to say. I will say, and I think this is, you know, a little bit of a debate because sometimes some, there are some memes of clips of Sarah Jessica Parker as Carrie um, that sort of get disseminated online. And some might say she might not be doing, like, the best acting in those scenes. But I can't think of, and I've had some discussions, some group discussions about whether, like, Sarah Jessica Parker is good on the show. Like, is like as an actress, like, is she good? And it's like, I think it goes further She just is Carrie, which I guess is maybe the whole point of the assignment. Yeah, I can't think of somebody else who would have, like, been good in this role. It would have been a very different show. Totally different show. Completely different show. Yeah, I I feel like I also uh, loved this episode because I am around the same age as Kat Dennings. And, like, I was one of those, like, young teenagers watching Sex and the City. And unlike Kat Dennings, I was not trying to pretend to be one of the women on the show. But I think that this is also a smart episode because it kind of acknowledges the effect that the show is having on the culture, um, Mm -hmm. even as, like, it's finding a way to do that in a way that makes sense, like, in the universe of Sex and the City. But, like, yeah, yeah, just, like, Samantha being shocked at these 13-year-old girls (laughs) acting like her. (laughs) In thinking of And Just Like That, which is so much about aging and sort of, like, the spanning of time, thinking backwards to, oh, the children, you know, going younger as we as we were about to go older and thinking about how these women and what they represented, like their impact on the culture and, you know, a certain type of teenage girl. And again, those girls, again, it's heightened for sure. Like, <laughs> like those, that bot mitzvah girl and, you know, her yeah. friends were definitely like, real, you know, not your average, typical thirteen-year-olds, but I mean, I went show... to some. I went to some bat mitzvahs in the day. That <laughs> oh, were, were they like that? Were they limo? I mean, I definitely, I definitely went to one like at a club. It was in downtown, <laughs> in, in downtown Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So not quite yeah. on the same level. <laughs> a million bucks. That was the party budget. I feel like they were very much precursors to Gossip Girl. Oh, totally. Yeah, I do think showing like 
as it's so much about aging and it is so much about, you know, where are we in our lives and it's seeing these young versions of Samantha, it's, 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 fu- it's played for laughs, but it is also, you know, it's, it, it's, yeah, that's what culture, that's what happens to culture. Yeah. Um, and it mirrors what happens with Carrie and what was his name? Power Lad? His uh, street name is Wade. <laughs> Wade, <laughs> a.k.a. Power Lad. You know, she's having the kind of flip experience of like re- revisiting her teen years and being a kid and realizing how glorious independence really is. Uh, and there's also a, a kind of like meaningful Charlotte storyline. Like that's where the serialization comes in is like in her tortured marriage to Trey. Um, a, a question that I have watching this back is, did they ever, is there a reason why Trey didn't just like take Viagra? Because there was a whole Viagra episode of Sex and the City. Like, why do they not? That wouldn't have been good for narrative, Hillary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could see if he like. would have solved it too easily. Maybe he just like refused to because of being an uptight wasp, wasp or something. Penis. But yeah. yeah, but that just seems like it would have solved. He's some a problems. surgeon. He wanted a surgical solution, and Charlotte so. found that for him. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe how much time she must have spent printing out and cutting and pasting her photos <laughs> into that into that issue of jugs. <laughs> like that's, this is what that, happens when you quit your job at the gallery. You've got a lot of time on your hands, <laughs> yeah. and that's art in a way. I mean, she's making art, you know. It's Truly, still in the art world. True. Some prop room <laughs> somewhere. True is the, that artifact. Yeah. Oh God, Trey. I mean, we just did. We recently. Um, we have our long-running article. Who's the worst man on sex? Yeah, we City. recently updated and it. We wrote it five years Trey? ago. We just uh, that was uh, Savannah Walsh's pick. Was Trey? I could see why this episode. I think he's sort of more innocuous um, than some other. He's really insensitive to her about the fertility stuff, though. Later in the series. Oh, fair enough. But how can anybody be worse than Mr. Big? Mr. Big is certainly the worst. I think it's actually telling that none of the best episodes we chose five best episodes. I was about to say the same thing. Big yeah. is not in any of them, and we didn't we didn't intend to do that at all. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is yeah. actually kind of crazy. And I mean, R.A.P. Big. I would say if we were one that was like in the conversation, uh, the way we were episode that one with uh, Carrie. And no, take a Napa. Don't move to Napa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good. Well, that's the thing is, it's not really about Carrie and Big's relationship. It's about Carrie and her relationship with these women. And Big is sort of, you know. Yeah, which is why the ending of the of the show is like such a betrayal. But right, we don't have to get into right. that. Well, and why <laughs> some, some later things. Some, what did you say? For the first movie's canon and the second's not? And the second one, there yeah, are the stumbles, is you know. Not. But yeah, Big has aged poorly as a character, and, <laughs> as, as an actor, yes. perhaps yeah. as well. In um, every, in doesn't every hold way. Up. Doesn't hold up. Yeah, like that, that like fantasy of like falling in love with Donald Trump, like definitely <laughs> does not work anymore. Supposedly he was based on a Condé Nast executive. I don't know. No way. I don't, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> has Candace Bushnell said that? Uh, yeah. Um... I don't know. Ooh, I'm saying this from the recesses of my memory, which are even <laughs> less reliable than Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, I what? I know this episode well, and I love it. Was there anything in it that like surprised either of you looking back? Okay, the weed I love. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Sex and City is really funny when it does weed yeah. episodes. It's, it's funny Imagine when it does that. Weed episodes. It's not <laughs> all cosmos. Yeah, also talk, there... talk about New York. It was uh, it was illegal. Yeah. Well, it, the thing about the New York they depict is like it just you're like holy shit we did used to smoke in bars and restaurants <laughs> there were smoking sections weed was illegal I guess that was the uptight that was the pre-Bloomberg yeah. that has gotten more and less uptight in weird ways yeah oh my gosh I also do want to know we do have to I think touch down on Miranda's braces a, a bit more just because they were so the physical comedy of that I mean <laughs> is so 
so heartbreaking. But the thing about Miranda's braces and a lot of Miranda's particular painful moments and foibles are they allow the show to like depict her in the office mm-hmm. and show these very awful lady mm. in workplace scenarios and the braces and her trying to be a professional and not get laughed at and being paranoid about people laughing at her. about and, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of this in the episodes we picked, I think. Yeah, is there is. And I mean, Miranda's really our women in the workplace sort of surrogate, right? In terms of, yeah. I mean, we get Samantha, well, but Samantha's PR job is a little more flash. And we do get a good Samantha. She's an entrepreneur. She kind of works for herself, carries yeah. and, and, yeah, and, yeah, and Carrie writes <laughs> Carrie writes one column every week, and that's her entire <laughs> salary, except $6, for $6,000. Yeah, that one time that she writes for Vogue. I mean, and you yeah. know, granted, the show does like later, you know, <laughs> tell us that it understands that these economics don't make any sense, and that's why she doesn't have any money. You know, I guess all her clothes must just be vintage finds or whatever. I mean, later it, her life seem a lot less like possible, mm-hmm. like as she starts dressing fancier and you know, as the production value on the show like goes up. Like in these earlier seasons, like her life is unrealistic, but like if her if her apartment is rent controlled and if her clothes are mostly things that she finds in you know secondhand or whatever, and if she's eating every night at parties and like doesn't have to pay for food or drink for herself, like maybe then her life could exist. It's also it, it, sure, and New York City did not used to be as insane as it is now. Yes, um, it, it was also maybe more possible. Also, sure. Barney's warehouse sales, yes, they were amazing. <laughs> Lest we forget. Two dollars, thirty bucks, you could have ridiculous things. Um you see yes. uh, I'm and this is well, sorry, what I'm Chris. Really I'm exactly I'm not nostalgic <laughs> for a world that I would never had for New York some, that isn't that isn't mine. I have some really good shoes that have lasted decades. <laughs> Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment and we'll dive into another episode of our top five. The Run Through with Vogue is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Right>, nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our next contender is season four, episode 11, coulda, woulda, shoulda, or as almost everybody else would rather say it, coulda, shoulda, woulda. <laughs> Originally aired August 5th, 2001. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. And for a quick refresher, Miranda is faced with a tough decision after pity sex with Steve results in a pregnancy. Dun, dun, dun. He didn't use He only has one hole, and I have a lazy ovary. In what twisted world does that create a baby? Yeah, I see your point. It's like the Special Olympics of conception. Miranda's news upsets Charlotte, whose fertility journey hits the rocks. My body is attacking Trey's sperm. 15% chance, 15% chance of ever having a baby. Carrie struggles to tell Aiden the truth about her past. 
I lied to you. I did have an abortion. The condom broke. Okay, that's another lie. I, uh, there was no condom. And Samantha is wooing potential client Lucy Liu and tries to name drop her to jump the queue for a Birkin bag. If I was as bad an actress as you, I'd still be serving onion rings at TGI Fridays. That's my fucking Birkin! And there went Lucy Liu, all cause of a Lucy lie. It all ends at the doctor's office where Miranda makes her final decision. We're having a baby? <laughs> We're going to go from a very funny and sort of lighthearted episode to I think one of the most like emotionally impactful episodes of the series uh, with coulda, woulda, shoulda, the famous abortion episode. Um, I think it's... Uh, when we were thinking about this list and whatnot, I mean, I think we talked about this episode. I think also got to give a big shout out to the my motherboard and myself. Episode two, Miranda's mom passes away. But this took, you know, a, really a Miranda scenario. And the way it was able to weave through, weave its through, way through each of the women from Charlotte and her, you know, pregnancy struggles to Carrie and her past and her relationship with Aiden. I thought it just, it really... Again, the serialized nature, it told, it told a full, complete story that had some real emotional heft. But I, as the only man here, will stop talking and ask what you both <laughs> yeah, Chris. about the episode. <laughs> let's talk about abortion. <laughs> let's talk about, Get let's out talk here. about it. And Turn off your mic. <laughs> honestly, I'm just here to listen. <laughs> <laughs> what an ally. Um, happy Pride. Um, so, yeah, um, it's, uh, it is, I, like, as you mentioned, I think it's probably not no accident that the two maybe, like, most, like, sensitive slash serious slash, like, kind of higher-minded episodes of the show are Miranda episodes or Cynthia Nixon episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, she won an Emmy, I think, for My Motherboard Myself um, and is, like, the most accomplished actress, I think, of the four. And, yeah, she does a great job in this showcase episode. Like, it's kind of crazy that it took four seasons for Sex and the City to do an abortion episode in retrospect, yeah. although it is hard to remember, unless you really look back at it, like, how rare it was for TV and film to... Ever touch ever, on it. Ever touch on it at all. Like, not even, like, they wouldn't say the word abortion because they wouldn't, but, like, they wouldn't even, like, talk about it as a thing that happened to a lot of people. Nope. Um, mm. Which is nuts. And it's something that you can appreciate about this episode is, like, for Samantha and Carrie, abortions were just matter of fact, and they happened, and it wasn't... I appreciate the fact that Carrie was not the one to go through the will she or won't she mm-hmm. abortion mm. dilemma, because she, you know, was allowed to just have had it as part mm-hmm. of her past as a little factual aside. Yeah, and that she kind of goes on this voyage of self-discovery and, like, thinking back, like, how her life could have been if she had made a different choice. But it's not, like, something that's, like, been torturing her for her entire— there, no. There's only maybe one moment that rings kind of false, which is when she's talking to Miranda in the clinic. What about after? How long until I feel back to normal? You're going to have to ask them. Well, how long until you felt back to normal? Any day now. I I don't think that having an abortion, like, affected Carrie, you know, psychically for the rest of her life, just based on what we know of her. And that that almost kind of felt like, I don't know, the show felt like it had to... I had it had a very to like, different read on that line. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I oh. read it as, like, flip humor. Okay. Like, Carrie was not really... She was kind of mocking the fact that it would be I mean, that would thought make, of. That makes more sense. I thought of it as the show feeling like it needed to take the position that, you know, abortion is a big 
like has to have been this like momentous thing. Interesting. That if you're, I mean, because Samantha treats it pretty flippantly. Samantha's like, I've had two. And like, that's fine. That like very much feels in keeping with her. Like she would have an abortion and she would not think about it again. Like that's what kind of person she is. And I don't know. I, I feel like I thought that there was an effort like last minute to make it seem like Carrie that it was weighing on her more than I think it actually would have. Interesting. I, I feel yeah. like if if that was the case, then they certainly talked themselves out of it by the time she got to the restaurant to see her mm. would-be <laughs> baby's father, who turned out to Still be a, there. kind of an, an idiot who doesn't remember her. Mm-hmm. And she, like, drops a 20, and she's like, peace. And <laughs> you're like, yeah, that was definitely the right choice for you, yeah. Carrie. Also, yeah. I, uh, I am on the record as hating Aiden and thinking that he is bullshit. You, but you know what? He reacts a lot better to the news that Carrie has had an abortion in the past than I thought he would. Okay, I was about to say, as your, as the resident Aiden hater. Yes, I do not it, like it, Aiden, but he does like hear her and he's like, okay, and then he doesn't hold it against her. I kind of think that Aiden would hold it against her and that the show was yeah. also kind of trying to balance like things in his favor for saying that. Interesting. I think he's judgmental. Different read here too. Yeah. What do I, you say? Also an Aiden hater. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I know there, were, there are dozens of us. <laughs> really, I feel like thousands. Aiden, yeah. not for me. I thought he gave too wishy-washy of a response mm. to be true to his character. I thought he would have been much more, oh, you know, mm-hmm. soothing and reassuring mm. about the I think that he fact. wanted, like, a traditional woman, and I think that it would bug him. Ew. Yeah. I mean, well, let's get into why you both hate Aiden. I mean, I think that's what... <laughs> I think. I feel like you're both, you're reading the response because you both... You... Yeah, Claire, why, why do you not like Aiden? So cheesy. He's so corny. <laughs> I don't really have anything more intelligent to say than that. I I, I like John Corbett. Fine. Oh, John Corbett's fine. Love yeah. him. Uh, no, my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Wonderful great, movie. Great movie. Um, but no, mm. Aiden is so, he's so cheesy, but he also is so cheesy in a way that doesn't go with like Carrie's brand of at cheesiness all. at all. And all he mm-hmm. wants is to like change her. Like he makes her stop smoking and he doesn't want her to go out so much and like blah, 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 blah. And yes. like, so yeah, I think that they just... He sucks for her. She's Carrie sucks. Like, I'm not going yeah. to pretend like Carrie yeah. doesn't suck. But they suck in different ways and in non-complimentary ways. Right. He he feels like a like a kind of like the show is like, okay, we're gonna have a, a Mr. Big binary and it's gonna be Aiden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's gonna be everything that big is. Yeah, not. and he's gonna be like sensitive and you know, works with his hands yeah. and has a Carpenter. dog. Great. Yeah. So cool. And Which really... did create a cool, I think, uh, that love triangle, though, was really, I think that worked. It, it worked oh, yeah. for me as, like, a storyteller. We don't device. have an episode about that love triangle in our top five, but, like, that storyline is, like, Sex and the City is, like, a really strong, like, uh, serialized moment for Sex and the City. Yes. Like, her, her affair with Big is, you know, a really... Like that's a that's a really bold move for the show to take to have the main character do something so like objectively unlikable and yeah. like you know cruel. Um, and I think that it was really yeah it was it was brave of Sex and the City to go there, especially because people are already primed not to like women. Yeah, <laughs> not even when they're Hillary like suddenly telling cheating real truth here. <laughs> real truth is Aiden worse than Big? Would you say or no? no. No, <laughs> okay, not I was crazy. Don't misunderstand us. Big sucks. Had to had to sort of get clarity on yeah, that. Yeah. One of the best boyfriends, I think one of the best men on Sex in the City, who honestly was great to see in this episode, is Steve. And oh, Steve, Steve. And I do think that <laughs> Oh, you hate Steve too? <laughs> oh no, then who do you like? I like Claire? Steve fine. There's Steve. good stuff here. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh my god, he's here. He's in the studio with us. I didn't. Who invited Steve? Uh, I like Steve. Fine, fine. You like Billy Joel? My curmudgeonly take on Sex in the City. I hate everyone. Miranda. I love the show. <laughs> and that's that's a skill. That's true. But I, Steve, and I think you know the the central question with you know whether or not Miranda needed to tell him and and sort of their that to, and also Carrie. I'm going to say it. Not being a great friend this episode. Carrie is a terrible friend in this episode. Why on earth would you tell Steve's best friend? Like, you couldn't wait one minute. There was no reason for her to do that. I was like, that's really... Inserting herself into drama that does not need her. Which he kind of calls her on. Aiden, that is. Yes. He's like, I don't want to know this. And I mean, to to his credit, it seems like he didn't actually tell Steve. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, that's good. Seemed... But like Carrie absolutely should not have told him. And then tells him that Miranda's no. keeping it. And, <laughs> and didn't tell... that was crazy. I'm a Carrie apologist because I, I do think that she's, while well, she's Carrie apologist. bad, she I'm rooting for her. <laughs> that was sort of un- undefensible. <laughs> like, Very indefensible. Also, uh, <laughs> I, I want to get you get your read on the uh, Lucy Liu Birkin subplot, which is perhaps oh. also indefensible. <laughs> Oh, but it's so it's so one Lucy Liu cameo. I'm all, I'm always here for that. I'm never mad at that. <laughs> and I do. I mean, the sartorial pleasures of Sex and the City. That's a big part of it. I mean, I did write this down. Carrie, one of her craziest outfits is when she runs up to Miranda at the beginning. She's wearing that black page boy cap and like a black vest and a black. She just looks so crazy and has a precision <laughs> <laughs> in a way that's like. Yes, she was giving newsies to then get the news Miranda to, when Miranda's like, I'm pregnant. Um, and I liked the Lucy Lou, the Birkin subplot, although, you know, spending that much on a bag, which now is even more expensive, um, is categorically insane. It does feel very Samantha Jones. Yeah. And Samantha's phone call when she's telling that PR rep to go fuck themselves. Hello, Francesca, Samantha Jones. Question, how the fuck long does Lucy Lou have to wait for that Birkin? Well, if they're so hard to get, maybe you can explain why I just saw a fucking nobody in a tracksuit carrying the exact one we want. Lucy Liu is a big, big fucking star, and she wants that bag. Is Hermes French for we take our good old fucking time? Thank you so much. Talk about acting. Kim Cattrall uh, eats every, like, she just, <laughs> she eats, she eats. She just really knew that woman. Don't you think- Samantha uh, would like know better than to do this that it would get back to her client. I don't know. I don't I would think know. she would be better at think, her job. I don't think we think I don't think I think we're so conditioned to like trace emails and social mm-hmm. media that we don't it's hard to think about how they were thinking technologically That's true. then. It was a, it was a different time. And she goes into the store and signs mm-hmm. her name on a piece of fucking paper I, like yeah. what? Know. <laughs> you know, your wait list is on a slip of paper at the Hermes store. Also the bag was 4 grand, which mm-hmm. now I feel like yeah. has been as you say Chris like, uh, eclipsed. Yeah. This is this is yeah, like I the first like... popular Birkin, right? Like this was like Birkin feel... in the popular imagination. Entering. I mean, I certainly didn't. I was, you know, 13, but I didn't know what it was until I watched this. Wild. Yeah, I feel like this was what sort of, you know, not began the craze. It was already a thing, but this then widened the scope of in terms so of. So that, oh, yeah, like, you know, somebody who is. doesn't live in yes. a coastal city can know what a yeah, bag um, is. Yes. To, to, to sidetrack yeah. on the fashion a little bit, I do feel like the show had a parallel life with it items, it bags, it articles of clothing, mm. um, the, a, a symbiotic parallel relationship. The Fendi baguette, 
the Bergen. Yeah. I was shocked when I found out saddle, that that uh, saddlebag. Yeah, I, I was shocked when I found out that that uh, that like Judith Lieber, uh, whatever the thing that that like ugly bag that big oh, the swan is bag a, or yeah the, is a real thing. Oh yeah, it's I real. Thought, I thought the show us, made it up. I didn't some know. Some of us don't think it was ugly. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> my <ugly>. <laughs> wow. Oh my god, yours are completely opposite. <laughs> I love it. The hot takes keep coming. Um, but no, I mean the, the Patricia. Field, I mean some of the stuff that. Specifically, that Carrie wears is like, I mean, I'm costume jealous. Wild G- costume. Wild. Like, can you Wild. imagine a person I- just walking down the street? Before we move on, I also want to, uh, to highlight perhaps one of Carrie's best issue uh, incidents of wordplay, which I didn't remember until I went back and watched this, which was Samantha lost Lucy Lou over a Lucy lie. <laughs> Yeah, a Lucy lie. That did make me laugh out loud. Did they cast her entirely? Was it reverse engineered from that line? I need to know. You want to think so, but I feel like this was concurrent with Charlie's Angels. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was definitely like Lucy. Cameron Diaz. Yeah, this was like Ally McBeal and Charlie's Angels. Like Lucy Liu was like exactly the caliber of like star that Samantha would be trying to represent. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh that is so true. And guess what? Cameron, D- you don't, can't really do that with Cameron Diaz. <laughs> uh, Drew, Drew Barrymore or Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Maybe now she's Drew Barrymore. Oh, so we could have gone I don't know, Chris. Samantha <laughs> Jones was just trying to seize the Diaz. <laughs> we're all trying out for And Just Like That season three, but we're not scabs. <laughs> we're not scabs? <laughs> no scabs here. So that's it for this episode of Still Watching. Please send us your questions, your concerns, any episodes you thought we should have mentioned that we didn't mention. Who do you think the worst man on Sex and the City is? You could email us all your thoughts at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Christress. You can find me at Hillabuster with two R's. And I'm on Twitter at, at Claire Howarth. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week to discuss two more episodes and decide what our ranking is and who gets the top spot. Looking forward to seeing you then. Why do I think living in Manhattan is so fantastic? Because it is. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon.